0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. Welcome everybody. My name is Shelly Graff. I lead uh, these Wednesday night practice groups once a month, usually on the second Wednesday of the month, but um, sometimes on different days when Mark is traveling and he just left today for a... Fairly long teaching excursion, six weeks or so. He'll be back for a couple days here or there, but he'll be gone teaching both on the East Coast and the West Coast for a while. So I and Gabe and others will be filling in at different times during the weekly practice groups teaching. And we've been exploring the Brahma Viharas together. Uh, Mark and I have been teaching these practices, these life-changing practices, for a few months now, and I'll probably haven't decided if I'll, how long I'll continue, but I probably will for a little while longer, because it's been such a rich exploration in my life. Why give up on love now? <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk more about the divine abodes mostly in a general way um, I'd like to just talk some about love but I'll just give a little overview if you haven't been around during these groups and it's fine if you haven't they all stand alone but I should have asked this before is anybody here for the first time yeah, raise your hands higher cool great what's your name Tony, Tony. welcome Tony and you're new? Maggie. Hey, Maggie. Welcome. Is another hand over here? No? Over here? Great. Hope you feel welcome here. Uh, there's a program host. Kevin is sitting in the back row, waving his hand by the door now. And there are many other leaders in the room. Hi. Gabe is here. Femi is here. Uh, Nancy Bowler is here. So if you have questions, feel free to ask Kevin or any of the people in the room, they might be able to point you in the right direction, but we really want this to be a place where everybody feels welcome, and sometimes it can be weird to step into a center where you don't quite know what the rules are or how things work, so just ask and somebody will let you know. So these divine abodes or these attitudes of mind that are different flavors of love, we might say. So these qualities of the heart that emerge hopefully quite often, and maybe we might even say there are natural tendency of the heart. So when the heart is unencumbered by greed, or anger, or confusion, ignorance, then these natural kind of tendencies of our heart and mind are expression or embodied expression tend to emerge on their own so one flavor of the of these heart qualities metta or loving kindness just this natural friendliness this caring quality this kindness right that's there and then this other quality compassion or karuna is this Pali word that was spoken at the time of the Buddha Pali was the language spoken at the time of the Buddha so karuna is compassion, and that's just the expression of love or kindness, that flavor of loving kindness that's available when the heart meets suffering, right? So anytime this heart is touched by pain, sorrow, sadness, anxiety, fear, and the heart can naturally care about that, like, oh, right? Then that's what we call compassion. It can be felt both like inter- it's felt internally but it can also be felt in a relationship to other human beings or activities in the world, any kind of um, experience where we're feeling heartbroken about something of our own lives or another person's life or general society, that, that feeling of compassion can naturally emerge. And then this third flavor, this third quality of the heart, appreciative joy, or you might generalize it to just maybe name joy, but appreciative joy is really this kind of kindness that emerges or this delight that emerges when we feel happy for someone else's happiness, right? So, and, and more specifically, when we, um, when this heart can delight in the goodness in another, right? Like, oh, the beautiful expression of the Dhamma of the dharma, of the way things are. So generosity, or um, when you have maybe a teenager in your life or a child who makes a really good choice and they feel happy about it, you sort of delight in their happiness along with them, right? That's what we call mudita or appreciative joy. And then the fourth quality of the heart is kind of like the strength that keeps us from collapsing. under the greatest difficulty. We might call that equanimity. The stability of mind, right? This, the strength that supports the tenderness of love. And any time we experience something difficult and we're able to feel that and not collapse under it, you know, that doesn't mean not be heartbroken. Like, compassion might emerge, but there might be a, a strength. Like, you might feel that kind of strength of heart that's there that like allows that to be felt, right? So you can probably think back in your lives to times when, and maybe current times, when something painful has been there, right? Even some difficult health challenges or a loss in your life or a fractured relationship. And there's something that's, you know, this ability to feel that, the pain of that loss or the pain of that fracture or the pain of that conflict or the pain of this, like, perpetual condition of anxiety that emerges again and again, like, oh, right, that ability to feel that again and again and to stay with it and to care about it and to not quit doing our life because of it, to not resort to other habits that might just complicate things. So that's the flavor of equanimity. And equanimity, you can see how necessary it is, right? It's a balancing element. We often think of love as like soft and tender, which it is, but it also, love also has this strength about it. curious to me that i'm talking about love in such a serious way (laughs) without much smiling or (laughs) but love has many different flavors and I've, i've been having a lot of fun kind of exploring all sides of love and getting curious about what love is and how it shows up and how it manifests and what it what emerges when love is there what wants to move what What does the heart want to do? What action kind of wants to result from this emergence of love? And so this general word love maybe gets overused and um, maybe even lose its meaning. So if it doesn't work for you, you can replace it with something else. But when I'm speaking of love, I mean all of those uh, qualities of the heart that I just referred to, those four divine abidings that Friendliness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. But I also mean any. Um, I also mean many other flavors of the heart. Any many other qualities of the heart, like patience, for example, or forgiveness, or warmth, right, or a sense of caring. So any of these abidings where it just feels like uh, where we can really see that the strength of the heart, these positive qualities, these um, attitudes of mind, we can really see how they're the glue that kind of keep our life moving along, right? the thread, if you will, the thread that connects throughout our life not only connects us to our own heart, but also connects us to each other. So love being like really a prominent expression of human-to-human connection. So and the more I explore this, what love is, it seems like love is, it's hard to see that this Buddhist path we talk about or these Buddhist practices are anything but love, right? They all seem to have a quality of love. All of the teachings seem to point right back to love. Like, oh, wisdom, what is wisdom without love, right? What is mindfulness without love? What is it? Like, is it possible to actually be aware, to mindfully be aware in our lives, to actually be present? with the experiences of our life without love? Is that a possible thing? Is that a possible phenomena? And we might even ask ourselves if there's any space in our life when we don't need love. So what if we actually took up this practice of being a student of love, right? And really kind of surrendering to the mystery of it all without having to, to um, completely define it even, but just open ourselves up to just the curiosity of love. Like, oh, can I be a, a student of love and see what I can learn about it, to see if I can even define it for myself, to start to look in my life for where kindness or patience or forgiveness is present and get curious about it like what is that like what is that like to have a drop of love here and there throughout our entire lives to have a drop of love that's there for us, that's there for us in the morning that allows us to get up and be willing to face our day like that kind of love that's like oh I care about my life so I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna cook myself some breakfast I'm gonna take the time to do that, to nurture this body. Is there a drop of love in that simple activity? Is there a drop of love in this generosity of the heart? right? That wants to say yes to one more phone call with a friend, even though I'm really tired. Is there a drop of love in um, being willing to let go of some anger or frustration that was there from the night before in an interaction with a loved one. What actually, what part of our life is exempt from an exploration of love? And we might actually begin to see what a dynamic force love is. It seems like Buddhist teachers, we tend to talk about the same things in a lot of different ways. (laughs) We tend to talk about love and the flavors of love. We might talk about wisdom and use a bunch of different words to talk about wisdom, or the wise mind, or the mind that knows, or the mind that can understand, or the heart that sees clearly, right? Same ways to talk about wisdom. And so we might, we might take that same understanding, like maybe life is, maybe these teachings are simple. Doesn't mean easy, but simple. And see how many ways a simple idea can actually show up, right? Can actually manifest or we can practice with a simple, how, how many ways can we practice with a simple idea like love? a simple idea that's not really that simple because it has so many different sides when we actually start to explore. And this path is an experiential one, right? It's not one that we are asked to just believe anything that we hear, right? The Buddha said, go and see for yourself. And that's one of the central elements of what we're doing here. We're exploring on our own like what Does this make sense? What is this? How does it feel? What's it like in the heart, in the mind, in the body? How does this work in my life? Is this true? Does this shake out? Right? And we can take that same practice up with this exploration of love. And one of the questions that I've been asking is, what if this heart is to be free, right? The Buddha said that it's possible for this heart to be free. And if this heart is to be free, what's it to be free of? Well, the Buddha said that, you know, being free of greed, hatred, and delusion, you know, that's what it means to really be free. For this heart to be free of the seeds of, of the expression of greed and anger, ill will, hatred, clinging, Attachment in any form of confusion of denial of rejection, right? These are all different words to describe the same simple things simple, but not easy to understand always And if this heart is to be free What is the force that actually frees the heart? Is love such a force that might actually free the heart and if that's so well, how does that happen? And this is the experiential practice that we engage in. This is the journey that we are on together. This is what we take up when we sit down and decide to practice mindfulness meditation and awareness. So this process of getting to know of uprooting of getting to know love as a force, as a dynamic force, as a force that might actually be stronger than the force of delusion or denial or anger, like if we can imagine that, is love a force that may actually be stronger, that might be more reliable, actually that might be more predictable than anger? We can think about all the many ways that it seems right to rely on anger as a force. Like it seems really hard, the strength of anger arise, and, it's, and it seems at times like undeniably this is the right move to use anger, right, or to indulge in anger. We can feel self-righteous in our justifying the use of anger, like I'm mad at you and it's your fault and so I'm going to tell you about it, Right. And there's no other way to get out of this predicament other than to let you have it. Right? Has anybody ever felt like that before? <laughs> Nobody. Just me. Okay. So it can feel like anger is the only choice in that moment. And we can feel so committed to using it, right? And in the same way, we can think like greed. We can feel so compelled to take up the practice of greed right to indulge in attachment to think that like oh you know my life my day has been hard i have done all of these things i really just need to indulge in a beer or a piece of cake i deserve dessert tonight (laughs) in fact i deserve two cookies not just one right and I don't know how I'm gonna make it through the night unless I indulge in something that's really uh, pleasurable, right? And as a way of checking out, I'm not saying that there's any, uh, anything wrong with pleasant experiences because they actually have a really good place. In practice, they're balancing, right? It's when things are hard to, but we need to know what we're doing or else we're gonna pick that up as a strategy and use it and the mind will start to believe that it's the only way out of its predicament, right? But what if love was a viable resource? What if we could actually begin to see love as a force that might actually be stronger than either the force of delusion or aversion? I'm curious about that, like, huh, how do people make it through like what is this kind of force of equanimity that we talk about how do people make it through human beings have made it through some of the most amazing difficult experiences right i mean we can think about just the way this country was founded and be in awe right of human beings slave labor stolen land, yet indigenous people and African-American people, generations of people are still around with strength, doing a lot of amazing things, raising families just like everybody else, right? Like what was the force in life? What was the life force that allowed for survival? was it the force of anger or was it the force of hatred do you think it was the force of attachment clinging or of denial of pretending like things weren't the way that they were so in some ways we need to like make a case for love (laughs) to actually be willing to explore it in our lives And that, once we can sort of be willing to take up the practice of exploration of love, then we can get close to like, well, how does it work, right? How does that? How does love? How does love work both as a means and an end, right? Because it can seem like um, sometimes I hear talks about love or people talking about love or even Dharma teachers and I think, well yeah, but you're really, you must not know what it's like to live because it's hard out here being human. <laughs> so love as an idea is all right, but as a practice, you don't know how hard it is to try to find love when I'm enraged, right? It can seem like love is so far away. And that's why it's a means as well as an end because love can be cultivated, but it gets cultivated alongside of along as um, along the way while we are sensitizing while we're getting more and more sensitive to the truth of our experience and that often means getting closer and closer to dukkha or the truth of suffering right so love does it doesn't seem that love emerges without this heart that can actually touch difficulty too And you've probably seen this, right? This is our mindfulness practice points us right in the direction of more and more sensitivity. And I've been seeing, watching this in my own life uh, recently over the past many months, actually. It seems I feel like a baby. Uh, I've been practicing for a long time, 15 years or so, pretty seriously going on retreats and really you know, taking care of my practice in lots of ways. And yet just in the past year, it feels like, oh, I think I am starting to understand what it means to be a sensitive human being, right? It's not always easy and it's not fun. And it's actually not linear either. I mean, how many times do we think like, oh, am I really making any progress because we're looking for things to go step by step by step? Well, now that I've tasted concentration for a couple minutes. The next time I should be able to sit for 10. Well, now that I've felt the impact of concentration for like 10 minutes, I should definitely be able to sit for half an hour. What's wrong with me? My mind's not concentrated at all. It's all over the place. But yesterday it was, you know, felt nice and still. right? So we think that our heart, are progress is going to be in a linear fashion, but that's not at all the way life flows. And that's not at all the way practice flows. So this practice of Dhamma, of mindfulness, of being with the way things are, involves a steady and nonlinear sensitization of the heart. right? And so what is sensitizing? being intimate, this heart that gets used to or develops the habit of getting close, of landing in the truth of experience, of actually feeling it and knowing it. Not in a conceptual way though, right? Concepts are just thoughts and ideas. But the actual truth of experience is, is much more than that. And that's an interesting exploration too, but sometimes we use the word embodied to talk about what it's like, what it's like to know experience, right? What is experience like in the body? What is it like beyond concept? What is it like intuitively? How is the earth a partner in our knowing? How are other human beings a partner in our knowing or supportive of our knowing? Like how does knowing emerge in the context of relationship? So being sensitive to our experience, knowing what it's like to be human in many ways, is about landing in the intimacy of the moment with our bodies and our hearts and our human relationships. And in the context of all of that, then this heart learns that it's okay to be with this. The heart learns that it's safe enough to say yes, right? The heart learns that it's okay not to say yes to this that we know is safe, but something else that seems a little bit bigger, a little bit more difficult. And it's not even because we want that to happen, it's because it's a natural process. When awareness is cultivated again and again, moment by moment throughout our lives, that habit gets stronger. When awareness is cultivated along with love, then it gets stronger, right? That capacity to care, to meet, to be with, to be intimate, to be in relationship gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And so then amazing things happen, right? And they actually happen on their own. It's like a law of, it's a law of nature. It's a law of nature. That when awareness is able to meet this, Whatever this is, right? If this is something really difficult, even when awareness is able to meet this fear, if the heart is full of fear and a loving awareness is able to meet that, that fear won't be able to last that long, right? That's a law of nature. So when awareness, when loving awareness touches fear, the defilements, these aspects of our heart that are elements of greed anger delusion they actually get weaker right and why does that happen as the heart gets more and more sensitive we can actually start to see how that happens touch this fear we see that this fear hurts the heart doesn't want to cling to fear because it actually hurts and so it lets go just like that right the heart feels this enraged angry feeling it's intense when we really can actually be with it in the body in relationship we see how it it hurts the people we love we see how it has an impact on our bodies gives me a headache makes me sick makes my muscles tense right like oh why why would we inflict that upon ourselves right love is there to meet that anger and the heart naturally lets go. You know, that's a a natural process, it's just nature. So this willingness to be with again and again to cultivate mindful awareness, even when we don't know what's happening, what's working in our lives, even when we're looking for a linear process but we don't see the progress happening, but this willingness to have some faith in this journey is really important, right? Nothing is irrelevant. No moment of awareness is irrelevant. Not a moment of awareness when we're brushing our teeth or a profound moment of awareness when we're actually touching a deep wound in our heart or a simple moment of awareness awareness when we're walking down the street and feeling the cold air on our shoulders, or whatever it is. Like every single moment in which we're cultivating a warmth, a caring, a loving awareness is a moment that actually supports the heart's opening in the more difficult moments of our lives, right? So those examples that we can come up with in our lives about how people have, actually how how human beings have actually made their way through the greatest difficulties, right? unimaginable circumstances. And we have that question like, well, how did that happen? Well, it didn't happen in a single moment. It happened with wisdom, with this application of awareness, this cultivation of this habit of caring, loving attention, moment after moment after moment after moment, right? That's what we call waking up, right? These moments, moment after moment after moment of cultivating of being willing to touch and be with the sensitivity in the heart actually encourages the heart to be willing to do that more often. That sensitivity, that willingness to be with, right, actually is generated in moments that are very similar. And we might also feel, we might also feel We also have to be willing to accept those moments when the heart is not ready to open, right? So forcing, forcing, trying to force the heart to open is not the way forward. So we can practice and we think progress should be linear. And wow, this is kind of interesting. I'm learning a lot about myself, the internal terrain of my heart. I've been able to see what anxiety is like feel it in my body, and now I expect the heart to be able to do it with other things, too, with other experiences. And I realize, well, well, that's not happening today, right? What's in the heart? I don't know. It's pretty shut down. And so we have to be able to accept those moments, too, as part of this journey and be willing to see where love factors into that, that moment as well. Like, is it possible to actually say yes to meet with love those moments of disconnection? Because if we can do that, then we're still on the path, right? Because no moment is irrelevant. So if there's a moment of disconnection, and we can know that, we can get interested in that too, like what it, what it feels like in the body. What is this embodied experience of disconnection? Then awareness is actually still being cultivated, and when there's a an ability to be with, and the heart cares about that, so there's this love and a loving this wise and loving awareness that's actually there. Right? We're still cultivating. We're still on the path. We're still in the direction of uprooting those habits of mind that are related to all those habits of mind that are related to the various flavors of greed, hatred, delusion. And every moment when kindness when love is present, you know, it's a moment where there's this possibility of being free. So why why would we why would we not want to be awake? Why would we not want to cultivate wise awareness, loving why is awareness? Why would we not want to be a student of love? I've been really enjoying this book called Time to Stand Up An Engaged Buddhist Manifesto for Our Earth. It's written by a pretty well known teacher her name is Tanisara. There's a part in here that I appreciate because it it reminds me that you know just of all the many flavors of love and that love can be firm like have the strength of equanimity and it can also be a, a strong no like a boundary right a no like this isn't The right move. It can also be a strong no externally, right? And you might think of like a mother who has to say no to a child for some reason. And it's a very strong no, not out of hatred, right? Not because the mother hates the child, but because the mother fiercely loves the child and sees that this is not going to lead anywhere good, right? It may not even lead anywhere safe and it might not be good for me or for you so there's a when there's that force of no it can actually be rooted in love it is it's part of the mystery the exploration to see like how wide how far reaching is this practice of love like what what are does it actually have limits what can love do There's a story in the suttas about um, the Buddha's cousin. Um, The suttas are just stories or teachings written down uh, at the time of the Buddha. It's not actually true at the time of the Buddha. It was an oral tradition at the time of this Buddha. And so the teachings weren't actually written down till like 400 years after the death of the Buddha. So there's a story about um, how the Buddha, I mean, if you can imagine the Buddha, right? Is the Buddha someone that you think had a heart that was full of <laughs> hatred or greed? Well, no, it's actually <laughs> the reason why we call him the Buddha is because. He watched his mind and practiced to a degree that all of the seeds of greed, hatred, and delusion were uprooted, right? So what was left in the Buddha, what was left there, like this purity was left there. And so there's this story about the Buddha's cousin who had a grudge against the Buddha, was jealous and resentful, and it seemed like his primary motive was ambition, and at one time he pointed out that the Buddha was getting old um, and he suggested that he himself take charge of the order as if to help out. But the Buddha saw through that um, and was concerned. And the Buddha spoke really harshly to him and he said, I would not even hand over the Sangha to Sariputta or Mogalana." Now those were two of the Buddha's disciples, like Sariputta was kind of his right hand man and Mogalana was right there with him. He said, I would not even hand over the Sangha to Sariputta or Moggallana, let alone you, you who should be copped out like spittle. Like the fierceness of that, right? Would just to me is like, oh, wow, the Buddha, like if I can imagine that the Buddha actually uprooted the defilements in his mind and still, so there was no greed, anger, or delusion in the mind of the Buddha, Right? And the Buddha still had the force. Like, what was the force behind those words? What could it have been? So it just really kind of gives me, uh, it really inspires me to explore the extent to which love can move, can uh, be supportive in, in ways that I might have a hard time imagining. right? Is it possible to actually speak truth to power when that force is motivated by love and not fear or anger? Is that possible? We get to explore that in our lives. And then just this is from Thomas Merton. Such a beautiful expression of love as a relational element. Love is in fact an intensification of life, a completeness, a fullness, a wholeness of life. Life curves upward to a peak of intensity, a high point of value and meaning at which all its latent creative possibility go into action and the person transcends themselves in encounter, response, communion with another it is for this that we came into this world this communion and self transcendence we do not become fully human until we give ourselves over we give ourselves to each other in love beautiful isn't that beautiful (laughs) beautiful to me so many beautiful expressions of love in written form louise Erdrich is one of my favorite authors this is from the painted drum which just really to me points to how important it is to experience love to walk this path of becoming more and more sensitive um, as a route to experiencing love life will break you nobody can pr- nobody can protect you from that and living alone won't either, for solitude solitude will also break you with its yearning. You have to love. You have to feel. It is the reason you are here on earth. You are here to risk your heart. You are here to be swallowed up. And when it happens that you are broken, or betrayed, or left, or hurt, or death brushes near, let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself, you tasted as many as you could.
1: Mm.
0: I talk longer than I thought. Save all the quotes for the end. Once again, not interspersed throughout. Hope they were meaningful it was meaningful to hear some words from others who have explored love just like you have, just like I am. And now it would be good to hear some from you if you have any reflections on love, the practice of love, of becoming a more sensitive human being.
1: Yeah, Some of the things that uh, you talked about, Shelley, reminded me of, I think it might have been Tara Brock talked about maybe for, i think from a zen teaching about uh, letting go of anxiety over imperfections and how that uh, you know, just releases so much and it takes so much uh, kindness and compassion to do that for myself and it's just you know it's it's just a difficult thing to let go of and the and part of that teaching i think is just the you know just that imperfections is there and it's just I spend a lot of time running away from it, I think.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's just a natural human tendency, right, to want to avoid those things that are painful. So it's kind of counterintuitive or against the stream that we actually aim to get close to those difficult, painful experiences in our life, like anxiety, for example. But I've talked about anxiety quite a lot in my talks over the past several years, and I can actually say with a lot of confidence that um, I've been completely surprised in moments where anxiety has fallen away on its own, and it's really just, you know, the process of cultivating that wise and loving attention again and again and again that love seems to emerge in, instead of anxiety in moments or anxiety doesn't, want to, doesn't have any room to live because love is stronger than that, right? Yeah. So even though moments of anxiety are still really painful, you know, I don't so much have a goal of getting rid of it anymore, but like just embracing every moment of anxiety with as much love to see what happens, to get curious about that.
1: So over the last few weeks, I've been trying to cultivate this idea of an open heart, let things soak in more, kind of sit with it, try to love through it. And um, part of what's going on is in my life is that for the last year, my adult child has been home living with us, and we've been talking a lot about um their childhood how you know the parenting the experiences the childhood and all that all that stuff and in the last few weeks what i've been feeling a lot of is a much heavier when they say something to me it soaks in so much deeper that i'm almost wrecked by it at least temporarily and I'm very present to it and um and I understand it's important to be with the suffering and understand the suffering and really and I think what's actually happening is I'm really feeling what they are actually talking about instead of saying well this happened to you and you know I was only a small part of it but this happened to you and I was right there with you and it was all happening together and so that is so when you say so and I'm not getting mad I'm not getting anxious I'm not but it is it's it's a really but in, in another way it's, it's kind of I always think of the story of the second arrow the first arrow hurts so much there is no second arrow <laughs> that kind of thing
0: Yeah, one of the important tools that we need to sharpen, if you will, as meditators is the tool of like teaching the heart to be nimble so that we can learn to kind of go in and out of that pain, right? So that because sometimes we can feel flooded by our emotional experience, right? And it doesn't even have to be that, uh, like, a big deal. It can just be a small thing, right, that causes great pain, right, because it activates all the previous wounds in the heart that are of the same flavor, right? So teaching the heart how to touch it but not be flooded by it, there's a real art there, right? Sometimes, like, a therapist can be a very good friend on a meditator's journey, for sure. I've learned that. I know that. But also, you know, there are lots of ways to kind of practice that going in and out of pain, right? That knowing like, oh, this feels like this is, I'm starting to take this personally, and it's really taking me down. What can I do to help rebalance, right? What is rebalancing? And that's where pleasant experiences come in really nicely, right? What can I do? Is there something pleasant that can help? Bring a little more balance to the heart. Is there a different activity? Is there movement? Because the, the, the strength of feelings often have a lot of force, right? And they're felt in the body. We don't always feel them in the body, but they are alive in the body. So some movement to help that energy, to let that energy go, even a walk, doing some dishes, folding laundry. Those can be really good and useful tasks, tasks to rebalance the mind. You probably know all of this.
1: Well, and I've talked to, the, uh, you know my therapist, <laughs> and she is also a practitioner, and she said, this is the thing, you're, you're tempted to go back to distraction, to distract yourself from the pain, and, and not that that's what you're talking about, but she's like, you have to find a middle way to not, to move forward still, but not to let it sink in so deep that it debilitates you.
0: And it's an art, right? Everybody's going to be different. So, some, that might be the right medicine at some time for someone, and there might be a different medicine at a different time. But the idea of distraction is an interesting one. If we're cultivating the habit of awareness all the time, then is, can there really be distraction, right? There might, there might, there's definitely choice, a placement of attention elsewhere, and So the question is, like, is it possible to actually be mindfully aware aware of all the choices we make so that the mind isn't... Distraction happens when the mind is swept away without our knowing it, right? But when we're intentional about where we place it, then we can't really call that distraction. We just call that cultivating awareness with a different experience. Okay, so we have to leave it here. It's 9 o'clock. Thank you. Thanks to everybody for... Attention and presence. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.
1: Thank you for listening.